Well, everybody doing okay? Yeah, all right, you look good. Hey, I want to say to you just a welcome to those that are watching online and to our friends down at the Correctional Center campus. Let's welcome them here with us this morning. Yeah, it's great to have you here. You know, it's really been fun to hear of different people that are just staying connected when they're out of town by watching online live now, and so that's been, that's been a huge win. Hey, I want to give you just a quick update before we really dive into things this morning on how things are going on our Elkhorn campus. I got to walk uh, through that building uh, one night this, this past week, and I just got to tell you, uh, the progress is looking great. That building is really coming together. The renovations are going very well. Um, Rob Hockney is running point on that project. And so if you see him around, make sure to thank him. He's doing a phenomenal job. That building is looking to be not only on schedule, but on budget. And so that's a good thing. And uh, we're just thankful for this opportunity, church. Uh, we're hoping to launch that in early November. And so that is rapidly approaching. And so I just want to encourage you, would you continue to be praying big prayers, those immeasurably more prayers. God, would you do more than we could ask or imagine? And would you also continue to ask that question Hey, Lord, who's my one today? You know, I find that the more that I ask that question, the more opportunities that I'm seeing. You know, who's my one today? Whether it's a neighbor, a coworker, a person across the street, whatever it is, but who's my one today that I can be inviting so that I can see God work in their story? So that's really our heart behind that campus and so excited to, uh, to look forward to that new season together. Well, today we're in part four of our series that's taking us through the New Testament book of Ephesians. And this book is six chapters long, and it is packed. It's theologically rich, but in addition to being theologically rich, it's also incredibly practical. You might be here today, and you're actually looking into the truths of Christianity. When you look at the book of Ephesians, you'll be able to know beyond a shadow of a doubt what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In addition to that, though, it's also very practical. And so if you're a follower of him, whether you've been a follower for a week or for decades and decades, this book gives us a lot of tools for us to be able to know, well, what does it look like? How do I follow Jesus Christ practically every single day? What does that look like? And the, today's text is going to bring that to light even more. So what I'd like to do is this. I'd like for us to pray together, but I want to mention this first. In our uh, 365 reading, uh, that Bible plan that we're doing together, you might have seen this this week. We came to Acts chapter 16. And I don't know if you noticed this, but there was a woman, a businesswoman named Lydia. And it says of her that as she was listening to the teachings of Jesus, that God opened up her heart so that she could respond. And when I read that, it just stuck out to me. And it was like, oh, that would be so wise for us to continually pray that. Lord, I want to, when I hear the teachings of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would open my heart so that I can respond. And so would you pray with me kind of in light of that this morning? And let's just say, okay, Lord, we come before you. We're not here by accident, that's for sure. And God, would you speak to us now? Would you help us to respond? So pray with me now, and, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you, God, that we get to gather yet again, and we get to declare, God, there is no one like you. God, you are above all. Lord, you are, you are in everything. God, you are almighty. God, you are the one that we adore, and we want to honor and praise you today. And Father, as we open up your word today, and we see yet another piece of the puzzle of, okay, what does it mean to follow you? God, I pray that you would give us open hearts to be able to respond. And so church, even right now, would you just say a very simple prayer? Would you say to the Lord, God, would you open my heart, and then would you give me the courage then to respond? Lord, would you open my heart, whether I'm here in this room or I'm watching online or I'm down at the, the Correctional Center campus, Lord, would you open up my heart so that I can have the courage then to respond? 
Father, that's our prayer this morning, and we thank you that when we pray, you honor it, and so we trust that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, let's get to work. Ephesians chapter 2. Flip there, click there, however you got to get there. Oh, that kind of rhymes. All right. Uh, let's tackle. We're, today we're going to tackle the, uh, the last 11 verses in chapter 2. Last 11 verses. And, and just as a, a reminder of kind of what's going on in here the, in this passage, the Apostle Paul in this book, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. It's a new, it's a new church plant. Uh, it, it's a group of people that are meeting together in a city that was a go-to city. It was a bustling city. It was a, a port city, the city of Ephesus. And he's writing, in a sense, a survival guide to them. He wants them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is who you are in Christ. And as a result of who you are, this then is how you're to live. This is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And so he gives them, in a sense, this playbook. After you know who you are, because when you ask that question, who am I, that's a critical question. But once you have the answer right, it really changes everything. And so he says this to them. Look at just, honestly, just the first word here in verse 11. He says, therefore... And we know this, that when we see therefore in the scriptures, we have to stop and we have to say, okay, there must be something that was just said that's really important for me to understand before I go on to what is next. What's the therefore, therefore? It's the same thing that we see when, whenever we come to the scriptures, we saw this earlier in the book, when it says something like, for this reason. Well, we have to ask the question, for what reason? And so when we see it in here in chapter 2, we know that the Apostle Paul has been sprinkling throughout this book the therefore. Why? Why? Why behind? Why should you pay attention? Why should you listen to what he's about to say? This answer, we see it sprinkled throughout, and I just want to review some of this with you. In chapter 1, he is driving home the point. He wants this new church plant to know this is who you are. This is your identity. Students, you were particularly on my heart this week as I thought about this section. Look at, look at chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Who are you? In Christ, if you have faith in Christ, this is your identity. Uh, it says, I am blessed in the heavenly realms. Who are you? I am blessed in the heavenly realms. That means that I have, with, it says, with every spiritual blessing. That means that if you're in Christ, you have more blessings than you can even comprehend. Verse 4, I am chosen. That means that before the foundations of the world, God had you on his mind. You are not forgotten. You are not second rate. What is your identity? Verse 5. I am, put your name in the blank, I am predestined and adopted, meaning God always, he was thinking about you. You get to choose who you adopt. Verse 6, I am given grace, it says. I don't deserve it, I can't earn it, but I receive it. Verse 7, I am redeemed and forgiven, so my past does no longer need to define me. What great news that is. And then it says this, verse 8, I am a recipient of God's lavished grace. So it's not just like a little bit of grace that God gives us. No, it's so much more beautiful than that. He's saying it's God's lavish grace that he's poured out on us. Verse 9, I am aware of God's will. The will of God is not a mystery to followers of Christ. Verse 11, I am included in God's family. I'm marked. And it doesn't mean that you're marked with the label that plagues you. It means that you're marked with an identity as a chosen child of God. Verse 14, I am guaranteed an inheritance. I am, think about that. You are guaranteed an inheritance in God. That's who you are. But that's not it. We then saw later on in week two of this series, we keep going in that chapter, and Paul prays this beautiful prayer for the, the church in Ephesus. And his prayer for them is he's saying, hey, I want to make sure that you don't become just a, a group of religious people, but I want you every single day to be knowing God better. And so he prays that. I pray that they would know him better. He's saying, choose better. 
Don't choose just maybe stale religion. He's saying, no, 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 I want you to know God better. And he highlights three things. Do you remember these? He says this, first of all. He says, I want you to know the hope to which you have received. I want you to be able to understand that in Jesus Christ, you have a hope that that, that doesn't compare to anything else in your life. It's a hope that you can bank on. And, And then he says this, I want you to understand your worth. I want you to understand that you are a part of God's, it says, his glorious inheritance. That's you. You are God's glorious inheritance. And then lastly, he wants them and he prays for them that they would experience God's power so that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't walk without power. No, no, no. When you walk in Christ, God is with you. And that, man, that's, some, that's something very different. God enables you to do things. He shows his power. He, and Paul says, I want you to experience that. And then last weekend, again, by way of review, because we have to understand where we've been before we can kind of get to where Paul wants to take us now. Tim asked this question last weekend, what separates Christianity from all other world religions? And you can't miss it if you read the scriptures. It's that word grace. I don't get what I deserve. Instead, I get grace. And he said it so well, I thought. He said, He said, pound for pound, there is no other chapter, there is no other 10-verse spotlight on grace in the New Testament that's more powerful than what we see in Ephesians chapter 2. And we saw these verses. Do you remember this? It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, but it is a gift from God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. Some of you, you remember the day when that verse rocked your heart. You remember the day when you realized, for it is by grace that I have been saved. And and it's not about being on the performance track. No, no, no. It's the grace track. It's not about what I do. It's about what I receive. And then it goes on, verse 9. It says, for you are God's workmanship or or his handiwork. You are God's masterpiece. You are created for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, so that's a lot, right? That's where we've been. But all of that precedes this therefore in verse 11. And I got to tell you, all of that is amazing. And when we get our minds around it, it, it impacts everything that we think and everything that we do. It revolutionizes our souls. Today's text then is going to lead us to the topic of unity. And as we dive into this topic, I, I want us to do a couple of things. Number one, we're going to zoom really closely into the text. And we're going to go through the text, but then we're going to zoom out and we're going to ask three questions. But I want them to be on your mind before we get to the end. And so here they are. The first question we're going to ask is this, am I unified with God? Am I unified with God? It is by far the most important thing that you could possibly ask yourself. You've got to land the plane on that question. Am I unified with God? Number two, we're going to ask this question, am I unified with others? Are there people in my life where I have a lack of unity? Are there whole people groups in my life that I have a lack of unity with? Number three, we're going to ask this question, am I unified in the church? So am I known and do I know others? Am I growing with others? Have you ever been a part of, let me ask you, have you ever been a part of something that lacked unity? If you have, you know how destructive, how crippling it can be to whatever you're trying to accomplish. You can be a part of something where everyone has a lot of talent and you have great resources backing your mission, but if you lack unity... Game over. Some of you grew up in a home that lacked unity. And I don't mean like the typical ups and downs that every home has, but you grew up in a home where there was a divide and it was continual, and you know how crippling that is to a person's soul. This unity crushes your spirit. It's a cancer to any cause. And the Apostle Paul is going to lay into it. 
you know, we're in the midst of attending a lot of middle school football games, watching our, our oldest son, and you can tell when you watch a team very quickly if they're unified. You can tell by how they interact on the field pretty quickly. Okay, they're unified. They're pulling for each other. You can watch the sidelines, and you watch what's going on the field, and, and you can just kind of get a feel. This team's together. Or, no, no, they're, really not, they're not really pulling for each other. If you have a unified front, if they have a unified team or church or company or marriage, you can have a lot less talent and a lot less resources, but look out because you're going to accomplish great things because unity is so important, and we see this in the scriptures. Uh, you might remember the classic movie Miracle. Uh, it's the, the docudrama of the 1980 USA Olympic hockey team. They were the underdog of all underdogs going into the 1980 Winter Olympics. And when the, the coach was pulling this team together from these colleges all over the country, he would ask them these three questions just so that they could kind of get to know each other. He said to them, tell the team, who are you? Where are you from? And then who, who do you play for? What college did you play for? And so after the, one of their losses really early on in their season, he was so discouraged, the coach was, because of their lack of unity. And so after this game, what he did is he, he told all the players, he said, go to the goal line. And he told his assistant coach, get your whistle. And so they all go to the goal line, and the assistant coach, you know, the coach says, blow the whistle. He blows the whistle, and they're going to skate lines back and forth and back and forth. And he's punishing them. And he's wanting them to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, when you play in a way that's not unified, you're going to lose every single time. And so they would go, and they were so exhausted. They had already played a game. The lights were off now in the, in the stadium. The crowd had left. And he keeps them going and going and going. And the assistant coach is saying, Herb, you got to stop. Coach is played by Kurt Russell, and, and he's not stopping. And the trainer's like, you're going to kill him. And he just keeps them going. And every time they get to the end of the line, down here by the goal line, they're exhausted. But he says things to them like this in that moment. He says, when you put on that jersey, you represent your teammates. And the name on the front of your jersey is more important than the name on the back. And he said it a lot more colorfully than that. That's the PG version, right? But he wanted them to know, you have to be unified. And so this one player, after he has them go again and again and again, is absolutely exhausted. And all of a sudden, before the coach blows the whistle again, this player yells out, I'm Mike Irzoni. And then the coach stops and he says, and who do you play for? And he says, for the first time, he didn't say the name of the college. He said, I play for the United States of America. And then Kurt Russell says, that's all, gentlemen, and walks off the ice, right? But he wanted to make the point. If you are unified, you'll accomplish great things. And that's just as true for that hockey team as it is for the church. And the Apostle Paul knows that. That was the turning point for that team. They went on to win the gold medal. Let me ask you, in your life, are you a person that actively pursues unity? Do you have relationships in your life that lack it? Are you an agent of unity? Do you pursue it? Think about our world. Are there any divisions in our world? Are there any pockets of unity that are causing some pretty major issues for us? Yes, this message is so relevant. So the Apostle Paul, he's wanting this church to thrive, and he's wanting them to keep at bay this, these divisions that could keep you apart. And so he writes the, this to them. Therefore, in light of who you are, all that we've seen so far, he says, remember. He's saying, don't forget this. Remember that formerly... And, and I've got to kind of take a time out for us here in the text. 
Because from here, what the Apostle Paul does is he's going he's to look back and he's going to say, hey, I don't want you to forget where you came from. I'm going to tell you some of your history because Gentiles, I don't want you to forget. Church in Ephesus, I don't want you to forget who you are. We've got to look in the rearview mirror before we're going to look forward. And so he says, therefore, remember that formerly, you who, were gent- you who are Gentiles, so any non-Jew, that's all of us, right? Any non-Jew, by birth, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Now, if you don't know what your Bible is saying there, awkward moment, right? Now you have something to talk about on the way home, right? Okay? All right. Thank you, Bible. Okay, moving right along. Verse 12. It all drives to this. Hear this. He says, remember that at that time, you who were separate from Christ, and everyone, they would have felt this. They, they would have felt this separation. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. The context here is so important. We aren't just talking about two groups of people that were having a little tiff at the lunch table. We aren't just talking about some family members that talked politics over Thanksgiving dinner and all of a sudden they're butting heads. No. This is a division that had taken place in their culture for thousands and thousands of years, nearly 2,000 years before the time of Jesus Christ. This was their history. This clouded who they were, and the Apostle Paul knew that he has to address it. He says, remember, you once, you were separated from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. So, in other words, politically, you were outsiders, You were looking in on the city that you wanted to be a part of. You were foreigners, it says, of the covenants of the promise. Think about this. God made a lot of promises. God made promises to Moses and to Abraham and to David. And what he's saying is this. He goes on, he says, you were even without hope and you were without God in the world. So imagine this. Imagine if you are a Gentile. You have no natural access to the Messiah. You have no natural access to God's family to the promises of God, to hope, to the God of the universe. The traditions of the day and the way that the Jews treated and interacted with the Gentiles put separation between the Gentiles and them knowing God. It was huge. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to remember the lack of unity that has dominated your history. Even in the temple, if you were to go to the temple as a Gentile, You could go into the temple, but you could only go so far. You would come up against a dividing wall, a literal wall all the way around the temple. And written in that wall, and it was actually written in two different languages so that it was crystal clear, it was in Greek and Latin, to make it beyond a shadow of a doubt, you have to know this if you're a Gentile. It said this, engraved, chiseled in it, it said, no Gentile may enter the enclosed area around the temple. Whoever is caught is alone responsible for the death that follows. Don't miss the point, Gentiles. You can come so close to the presence of knowing God, the presence of God, but that's it. You're excluded. There's a wall, a dividing wall of hostility between where you can go. We're different. Racism was alive and well in this day. In our culture, just think of the things that get between people. Race, politics, economics, age, style, the list goes on and on. And church, I think we have to sincerely ask the question, particularly if you're a Christ follower here today, 
Are there any places in my life where I have divisions with myself and other people or even groups of people that actually it breaks the heart of God how I think and how I act? It breaks the heart of God. You have to sincerely ask that question. Now let's keep going. Notice in verse 13, the Apostle Paul, he's going to turn the corner now. And what he's going to do is he's going to say, hey, no more looking in the rearview mirror. Well, we're going to move on to something much better. There's a, a new day. There's a new reality, he's saying, that I want to call your attention to. Remember, he's a survival guide for them. He's wanting them to know this is who you are, this is who you've been, this is how who you've been colors who you will be, all of those kinds of things. It's a new day for them. I was talking with our daughter the other night, and she was telling me that her birthday this year is on a Monday, and Monday's my day off, and so I said to her, because lots of times when they were in elementary school, we'd go and have lunch at their school uh, with them on their birthday, take them lunch, and they just love that, and she's in middle school now, and so I kind of knew where this conversation was going to go, but I thought I'd say it anyway, and so I just said to her, I said, well, Ashlyn, you know, it's a Monday, so I'm off. I, how about I come? I'll bring you lunch, and I'll sit with you and your friend. And she got this look on her face as though she'd been inflicted by some horrible, life-threatening disease. So painful. And she said, no. And, and it wasn't like, no, like, no. It was like, Dad, that ship is not only sailed, you can't even see that thing. It is gone, right? Like, in other words, Dad, there was a day for that, and it was a great day, Dad. And there was a season for that, and it was a fairly long season even. But now, key words. Things have changed. Look at the Apostle Paul's words. He says, but now, don't, church, don't miss the significance of those two words. But now, a new day has come in Christ Jesus. Not in your own effort, not in your own deeds, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once away, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is how you get unified with God, our first question. Are you unified with God? Are you unified with your creator? This is a huge statement the Apostle Paul is making. He's saying that the gap that has always existed, that has seemed unconquerable, he's saying that it's being filled in, and it's being filled in with the blood of Jesus Christ. He's saying there is no longer a division. No, no, no. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Huge statement. In Acts chapter 10, the apostle, the, the Peter gets this, really this revelation from God where God just rocks his world. And it says in Acts chapter 10 that, that really Peter has this aha moment. Peter was raised a Jew, a very strict Jew. And so he knows all the Jewish customs and all of this, and, and he knows the divisions between God's people. And, and so God, though, reveals, Jesus reveals truth to Peter. And all of a sudden, then, Peter finds himself at the home of this centurion named Cornelius, and he has his aha moment. He gets it. No longer there should there be disunity among the people of God. And so he says this. It's beautiful. He says, I now realize how true it is. So think about this. Peter is in the midst of a whole crowd of Gentiles, which would have been very uncomfortable for him. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. But he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter has an aha moment. In Christ, there should be no lack of unity. Now, from this day forward. And folks, this is our day. Those who were once far can have peace with God. It's a beautiful thing. It's amazing. Peter gets it. Look at verse 14. It says, for he himself... 
is our peace. So that through Christ, think about this, through Christ we have peace with God. But not only peace with God, we also have now peace with each other. The dividing wall is down. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed. Look at that strong language there. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Now notice, the law wasn't bad, but the law was to be a pointer back to the Messiah, to prepare the way for the Messiah, get us ready for the Messiah. And then it says, his purpose. So, okay, whose purpose? Christ's purpose. So this is the heart of God right here. This is what this is what Jesus makes possible. His purpose was to create in himself, here it is, one new humanity. A humanity that would no longer be divided by a Jewish race or a Gentile race or a Hispanic or Asian or black or white or Latin, you name it. No, 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 no. There should be no more division among race. Instead, it should be one human race and it should be a heavenly one. That's the picture, and it's beautiful. He says this, his purpose was to create in himself one new, new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in the one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The key to unity is Jesus Christ. The key to unity is Jesus Christ. Period. And what that says to us as Christians is this, is that we should be the most radically inclusive people on the planet. We should be the most radically inclusive. We should look at people that are different from us, and we should say, I've got to get to know that person. I've got to be in their life. We've got to be the kind of people that as a church, we say, oh, okay, you're different from me? Oh, there shouldn't be, there shouldn't be any barrier. No, 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 we're okay. Available. Why? Through Jesus Christ. Verse 17. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away. And honestly, maybe some of you even today, you read that and you go, I feel that way today. I feel far away from God. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Verse 18, for through him we both have access. So there's no barrier, again, no barrier between us, no barrier between relationship with God. We have access to the Father by one spirit. You might be here this morning and you would say this, there's always been a wall between me and God. There's always been a wall. And maybe it's because of your own pride. Maybe it's because of a lack, lack of knowledge. Maybe it's because of the home that you were raised in. But you would say that there's always been a gap between you and God. And I just want you to hear this morning, your heavenly father is, has been relentlessly pursuing you. And his love for you is so relentless and he longs for you to know that through Jesus Christ, there no longer needs to be the wall. That wall can come down through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what this passage, it is screaming to us. My prayer for you this morning is that you'd say, I got to take down that wall. I know enough to trust. Verse 19, Paul says this then. He says, consequently, so this is beautiful. This is your new reality as, as a people. And then this is for us here as a church. Consequently. You are no longer, it says, foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. In other words, church, you get to sit at the kitchen table. Isn't that great? It's not like you just get to hang out at the fo in the foyer of the home, the entryway, and have casual conversation with your maker. No. He's saying, no, no, you're in the fold. You have a room in the house. You get to sit at the decision-making table. You're a part of this. You are welcomed in. Verse 20. 
You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And then again, he drives it all back. Why is this possible? Look at verse 21. It says, in him the whole building is joined together. So there's absolute unity. It's the picture of the church. And it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together. See, there's this picture of, okay, when you and I, when we live in community, we, the result is that we grow together. We're being built together. And then it says, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Do you see the picture here? Because of Jesus Christ, there can be unity, not only unity with God, but there's unity with each other. And then there's this picture of the church, and he says, okay, what should the church look like? Well, the church even should look like this group of people that are growing together. So I want to take us now to these three questions as we kind of wrap up. The first one, again, is this. And ask yourself, Lord, is there one of these that you have for me? The first one is, again, am I unified with God? Am I unified with God? You might come here today, and again, you would say, man, there's a dividing wall between me and God. And I would ask you this morning, and I've been praying for you this week. I asked you this morning, would you say, I put my hope in Jesus Christ. I no longer have to wonder about my eternity. The Apostle Paul has made it very clear throughout this book, it is only by grace that you are saved through faith. Completely apart from you. It's not about you anymore. Would you come to that place where you would say, I submit my life to Christ. The scriptures are clear. God opposes proud people. God opposes the proud. But the stoke wooing to us. It says that he gives grace to the humble. And so I think that humility is honestly that first step where you say, God, you would be a better king of my life than me. Jesus, you'd be a much better leader than I am. And in humility, we say, I'm not in charge anymore. I'm not going to live for me anymore. I'm going to have unity, though, with God because of this decision, and that's going to change everything for me. I no longer have to worry, do I have peace with God? That's being settled. So have you been unified with God? Number two, ask yourself, is this the question maybe God has for you today? Are you unified with others? Are you unified with others? Several years ago, I felt this nudge. I felt like it was really from God, and it was to befriend a, a pastor in our church who was different than me, from me. He's an African-American. And, and I was very upfront with him in this relationship. I said, hey, I want to get to know you, and I hope that we actually develop a friendship because over time, I want my life to continue to have more and more relationships with people of diversity. I, want to, I need to grow in this area. And I can't tell you how thankful I am for that relationship as recent as this week. And I'm thankful for how it's even now beginning to impact our own church. Let me ask you, are you an active agent for unity? Sensed another nudge recently, and it was... Hey, Jeff, you see a lot of people at the gym who are of different ethnicities than you. Are you actively pursuing relationships with them? So the, just the other day, I was walking out, and, and I stepped into the zone of the unknown. You know what I'm talking about, the zone of the unknown, where you're like, you're about to say something, you're like, I don't know how this is going to go. And so you just say it, and then you say a little quick prayer. I totally did that. I said, I said hey, how was your workout? And then I said, please, you just make this go gay, you know, and real fast. And and guy turned around, and he said, well, it, was, it was good. We talked a little bit. I said, well, hey, my name's Jeff, and I see you here all the time. I just wanted to say hi and introduce myself. And so we had this conversation, and that was it. It was great. It's going to be a friendship maybe. Who knows, right? But again, it's, it's this idea, am I not just opposed to people? I mean, many of us would say, oh, I'm, I'm not opposed to, to people that are different than me. That's not the question. For the Christian, the question is this. 
Are you an active agent for unity? Are you pursuing those relationships? God's had his hand on me on this. You know, one of our dreams as a church is that with every passing year, we would become more and more diverse as a church. And I am learning how naive it is to think that that will happen easily. That is so naive. Because it takes so much intentionality. We can't wait until January. Juan Santos is going to join our staff and Lord willing, we'll launch a bilingual service in 2020. Guys, we believe that's a step that's going to bring honor and delight to the heart of God. I don't know if you saw this, but in your little brochure today, we have a small group that's actually going to be kicking off off today that is going to be all in Spanish. How cool is that? Group two, be praying for that. What a cool step, right? I mean, that's awesome. Revelations chapter 7 verse 9 says this. It's a snapshot of the, the future. This is what eternity is going to look like. Is it separated by race? Is it separated by age? Is it separated by style? No. It says, after this, I looked up, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, and they were standing before the throne. So picture this. They're standing before God, before the throne, and they're worshiping Jesus Christ, but they're different, but they're together. They're different, yes, but they're together. Everyone, imagine how our city even could be different if every one of us, roughly 1,500 of us in this church, if we would say, okay, we are going to be active agents for unity. We will cross dividing lines that are normal in our culture, but we will actively cross them. We will step into the zone of the unknown, and we will do it because we know that it honors the heart of our God. Question number three. Is this the one for you, maybe? Are you unified in the church? You know, one of my greatest joys as a parent, and if you're a parent, this is one of your greatest joys as well, is whenever you see your children are pulling for each other. Like when you see that they're like laughing together and they're working together on, I mean, it's like one of those moments where you go, oh, freeze frame. Like, stay there. Oh, it's beautiful. Brings so much joy to the heart of a parent. Psalm 133, verse 1 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. When there is unity in the church, not only does it honor God, but it catapults forward the mission when we live in unity together. And so notice that the Apostle Paul says that this household, that this thing that that God calls the church, that he cherishes, it's his bride, he says that it's being built together. It's the idea that if you're a part of this church, you're actually growing with those around you. You are known by others and you know others. A huge part of living in community is connecting with other people. Now, we say a lot around here, we believe that we connect to grow. And so what we do is we put people in small groups. We put people in small groups from the time they're little kids. Our kids' ministry is small groups. That's what we do. We put people in men's groups and women's groups and couples groups and college and youth and singles and and all the way up. Because why? Because we know that there's such power when you're known and when you know others. Everybody, just as one of your pastors, I cannot encourage you enough. Would you consider being in community? If you've never been in a small group, I remember 20 plus years ago now when I accepted Christ, I got in my first small group, and I was so nervous to go to this apartment. I was like, this is the weirdest thing in the world. What are we going to do? Sit around, hold hands, sing Kumbaya? Man, I had no idea. But I got to be honest with you. I started hitting some bumps early on in my walk with Jesus Christ. That group was there. 
I hit some other bumps along the way. Those relationships were there. This all really hit home for me this week. I was just meeting with a guy on Friday morning. He's several years older than I am, and I respect him very highly. He's a wise guy. And he was talking to me, though, about something that was burdening him, and he said this. He said, I'm noticing that so many men, in particularly, do not finish well. They don't finish their faith walk well. And he said, what I see in them is oftentimes they choose to walk alone. And he's so right. And so then when the bumps of life come, there's nobody to direct back. And then, the, you know, and you need this and that, and, and all, you just you don't have it, though. There's no support. And I just want to encourage you. Would you consider this morning, are you living in community? Are you known and do you know others. We have three priorities as a church. Number one, we gather. We worship together. That's this. So if you said, hey, what are the three things that Brookside's leadership hopes you do? There's only three. We hope we gather weekly. Number two, we say we hope you serve because God's given you beautiful, unique gifts. And then number three, we say we need you to connect because we believe that when you connect, that's when you'll actually grow. And so this morning, maybe that last question is for you. Am I unified in the church? Am I pursuing community? Am I actively engaged in it? So what I want to do now is just, I want to close, and I really kind of want us just to pray through these three questions, um, because I hope that one of them has really stuck out to you this morning. So would you pray with me now, and, and, and we'll close. Father, I thank you first off for your word. God, thank you for the Apostle Paul's word to this church in Ephesus that he just longed for them to thrive. But yet he knew that their unity would be so important. He knew that understanding where they had been would be important in order for them to know where they should go. Lord, this morning we come to you and we just say on this topic of unity, number one, we ask the question, am I unified with God? If you're here this morning and you would say there's always been a wall between you and God, I just want you to know that even right now you can say a very simple prayer to Jesus and you can say this, Jesus I put my faith in you and I ask that you would take away the wall and I understand that my faith does that. Your forgiveness does that. And so now I can have peace with you and I choose peace with God. I want to be unified with you. And then maybe this morning there's someone in your life, question number two, are you unified with others? Maybe it's somebody in your family, maybe it's somebody in the church, maybe it's, maybe it's a whole race of people and God's just pressing in on you this morning. And, and if that's an issue for you, would you just say, Lord, I repent. And maybe you just need to repent of being a person that's passive in this area. And you need to say, God, would you give me the strength to step into the, the zone of the unknown often and to be a reconciler, to be a person that as a Christian, the blood of Christ says unity, unity, unity. So God, would you give us the courage, I pray, to be those kinds of people. And lastly, maybe for you this morning, you've been living in isolation and you think that the road alone has been the best road. And, but maybe this morning you realize, you know what, if I, could, if I lived in community, I would have a backing that would be not only helpful, but it would be biblical. It would be obedient to God. And so, Lord, I pray for the things that we try to do here as a church. God, I pray for this morning, honestly, that many, many, many people would say, I'm going to try a group for the very first time. I'm going to get in a small group. I'm going to live in community with others. Even though it's a sacrifice of time, I'm going to say it's worth it because my walk with Christ is so important to me. 
So, Father, thank you for this text again. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your church, the bride of Christ. It's a privilege for us to be here together. We pray this in your name. Amen.